Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. We're going to take a look at what's happening in the market. Is it time to move ahead with a green light? Is it a time to put on the brakes with a red light? Or is it time for the yellow caution light? We'll find out today. And we've got a great guest on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Are you still sitting on the sidelines trying to figure out when and where you're going to buy those investment properties? Well, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Atlanta, Georgia is still on sale, but you better act fast because the deals are almost gone. Hey, this is Ken Corsini with Georgia Residential Partners, and I want you to know that there may not be a better investing opportunity than Atlanta right now. Listed as one of the fastest growing markets in the country, both in terms of jobs and population, Forbes predicts 26% appreciation over the next three years. At Georgia Residential Partners, we sell turnkey cash-flowing investment properties. We also sell wholesale properties at insane discounts. We're launching a new home construction product this summer as well. And if you're still nervous about stepping out into another market, I will personally partner with you on a small portfolio of homes, if that's what it takes. Don't wait any longer. Check us out at gainvesting.com or call our office at 770-924-5450. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. This week from Las Vegas, Nevada, let's meet our co-host, financial strategist, Russell Craig. Hey, Robert. You know, we are suited up and we're at the, the convention. We do this a lot. We go out and we uh, we check out what's happening in the world. We spend a lot of time going to conferences and conventions and so forth. And today, you and I do a lot of divide and conquer, where we split up a lot of different things. I was just in uh, Dallas at the Simon Black's event, and uh, you were uh, scouring the world of uh, Northern California. And we've come together here for a couple different events. Uh, events in, in Las Vegas, but we're looking at, at what's happening in the real estate market. And I think uh, in order to understand the real estate market, you have to understand the broader economic market, which really is, I think, the big difference between our show and a lot of real estate shows. A lot of great real estate practical help and tips and idea and strategy shows out there on what to do. We're a lot more about how to think and what to go find out and what to keep your mind around because real estate is only part of the economy. Arguably, a cool part, one of the greatest investment vehicles ever, taxed advantage, and all kinds of great reasons we love real estate. But, you know, it's interesting. We talked a, a few months back uh, when we had a chance to go out to a real estate event. We hadn't been at a, a true real estate event in a while. And uh, now we've got a couple of those in the calendar. But we're also coming to these broader-based economic events so we can get our mind around the economy and what this, quote-unquote, recovery is really looking like. Yeah, a lot of real estate investors, they invest in a bubble. And they don't, I'm not saying they invest in bubbles, but they live in their own little world, right? You have the stock trader investors, the people who are engaged with Wall Street, they have the financial advisors, they have their trading software, and they either trade or they're buy and hold investors. They follow guys like Warren Buffett, and they want to know what these guys are thinking. And then you have a whole different group of people that pay attention to people like Robert Kiyosaki, and they want to know about what's going on in flipping houses and, and buy and hold rental property and apartments, and they, they listen to Ken Mack we do both those things and try to bring those two things together because I think, again, going back to what we experienced in the run-up before 2008 and then what happened in 2008 and everything that most real estate investors who were active in the market in the early 2000s experienced is that these markets affect each other. And even if you're not interested in the asset class for 
your portfolio, you have to realize those macro forces are going to push or pull on your portfolio, and especially real estate investors, because such a big part of what we do as real estate investors is use leverage. And leverage is money, and money has a price called interest rates, and things that affect interest rates, and most notably the bond market, have a lot to do with what's going on in, in pop economic theory. It has a lot to do with the mood of the investment community. It has a lot to do with international politics and global economics. It has a lot to do with domestic policy. Who's in the White House and what are the economic pressures and what is the overriding theme? Is more government the answer? Is less government the answer? And then, of course, jobs and job creation is like a real important factor. And what what's going on in the policymaking that could affect that? It's hard to do this show and not get political, but it doesn't really matter about brand or political stripe. What really matters is understanding the economics underneath the policy and what is what people are trying to accomplish, but also the methodologies. You might agree with the goal, but disagree with the methodology. And so you have to kind of understand that stuff, really, if you want to understand these things that can affect you profoundly and you want to avoid the big crashes and you want to be able to capitalize on them at the same time. You didn't have to be that educated to invest in real estate in 2003 or 2004. You could buy pretty much any property in any market and do just fine. Today, that is not true. Today, many real estate markets are up. But are they really? Today, we're going to really look under the hood and see what's happening in terms of, you mentioned jobs, that's important. Interest rates we'll talk about. What's happening in the overall mood of the market? What really is moving these real estate markets? Why are prices up? It's not just that prices are up, it's why. The conference we're at right now, the Money Show in Las Vegas, we were just at their show in Orlando, the World Money Show. They're going to be coming to San Francisco. You should have a chance to see that. Mostly stock investors, people who think in terms of sterile investments, but a lot of really smart folks got up the first night and talked about this looking like there was going to continue to be a bull market for a while longer. We looked at a chart that showed us that we're in the middle of the fourth longest bull market since the stock market came into being, right? meaning every other bull market would have been over by now. And a lot of great experts stood up and said, oh, I think we got another, I don't know, year, 18 months, two years, right? We got to spend some time with Steve Forbes on Friday night. He's got a brand new book uh, coming out. We're going to be excited about bringing that to you. Hopefully, have a chance to uh, have Mr. Forbes share his ideas about money. That's what the uh, concept of this book is about. Uh, but people have this bent on where the market is based on the lens they look through. As real estate investors, we owe it to ourselves to take a bigger look. Our guest today is no stranger to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Not only has he been on the show many times, he does a weekly radio show himself, and uh, he's been with us the last two investors summit at Seas, and will participate in the next one as well. Uh, he's a guy that often gets accused of looking at the glass as being half empty, but he's also called it right a lot more often than he's called it wrong. When we come back, we'll say hello to our good friend Peter Schiff today on the Real Estate Guys radio program live nationwide you're listening to the real estate guys find out more at realestateguysradio.com if you love real estate and have always wanted to own your own business listen up the real estate guys and their panel of experts want to teach you how to go full-time fast in the real estate syndication business. These next few years may go down in history as one of the best times ever to acquire investment real estate. There are deals everywhere if you know where to look and how to assemble the resources. The Secrets of Successful Syndication Seminar will show you how to make big money doing big deals from a team of experts that have syndicated projects 
totaling more than $1 billion. Don't wait for someone to give you a raise or create a job for you. Attend the secrets of successful syndication and learn how to build a team, raise capital, find deals, and make full-time money in six months or less. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. All the big players use syndication as a way to diversify risk, optimize profits, and earn big money. You can too. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. Live where you want to live, but invest where the numbers make sense. Even better, invest where you have a solid team to support you. We've been hearing great things about Memphis, Tennessee, and Terry Kerr from Mid-South Homebuyers. Since 2002, Terry and his team have been delivering turnkey rental property solutions ideal for out-of-area real estate investors. So if you're looking for affordable, trouble-free, turnkey investment property, call Terry. Use our resource hotline at 888-510-6838, extension 118. That's 888-510-6838, extension 118. Or find them in the resources area of our website at realestateguysradio.com. Hello, this is Robert Kiyosaki. I'm the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And if you're serious about learning how to invest in real estate, listen to the real estate guys. They really know what they're talking about. Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program, the number one downloaded podcast on real estate investing, taking a look at the broader economy with our good friend, Peter Schiff. How are you, sir? Good. How are you? Good to see you. Now, we've had the opportunity to hear you speak a couple times in the last couple of days, and uh, I wanted to talk um, kind of big picture uh, about interest rates, because that obviously affects real estate investors, but also kind of all investors. And uh, I know you have some thoughts on this. Yeah. Well, you know, interest rates are just too low. In the United States. And a lot of people might think, well, why isn't, aren't low interest rates good? Well, they're good for the borrower, but they're not good for the lender, right? If you're lending and you're getting a low rate of return, that's not a good thing, especially if you have inflation that is higher than the level of interest rates, which means not only are you not getting a return on your loan, you're actually losing. And a lot of people end up paying taxes on the interest, which just adds insult to injury. If inflation already exceeds the rate of interest, you're losing money, yet you're paying a tax on on a phantom gain. But the other problem with interest rates being too low is that it distorts the economy. Because interest rates are too low, it's a disincentive for people to save. And you have a incentive, a government-created subsidy for borrowing. And so you have a badly uh, misallocated economy, like the one we have in America, where you don't have enough savings, and we have a very, very low savings rate. And since savings are necessary for legitimate economic growth, because they finance capital investment, you have an economy that doesn't produce enough. And that's why we have these huge trade deficits, $500 billion a year. So you have a big distortion in the economy brought about by the price of money being wrong. You know, just like you, know, you don't want the government to set the price of a commodity, whether it's oil or bread, because if they do that, they're going to create a shortage or a surplus, depending on whether they get the price too high or too low. Right? They do that with the minimum wage. They set the price for unskilled labor. As a result, there's a surplus of unskilled labor. There's a shortage of jobs, and you have all this unemployment that is a consequence of price-fixing labor. Well, when the government does that to money, it creates a problem. And zero, obviously, zero percent interest rates is not the rate that the free market would set. 
And so we have all these problems. Eventually, we're going to have to allow interest rates to normalize, and that's the problem because years and years of artificially low rates, everybody is too levered up, everybody has too much debt, whether they used it to acquire property or stocks or the government has been relying on debt to finance government spending. Households have relied on debt, credit card debt, student loans, refis on their property to finance their lifestyle. When interest rates go up, now, you know, the party comes to an end because not only now can people not repay the loans, but they can't even pay the interest on the loans. Well, you're speaking at a couple of different conferences uh, here in Las Vegas. And in many cases, a lot of the folks that are here are pointing to the bull market and saying it's still got, you know, legs and we're, we've still got a good market and it's strong and real estate's back and all those things. But when we look at the fundamentals, it's really there's more to it than that. Yeah. Well, real estate prices went up in 2013. So did stock prices. So far in 2014, most stocks are down, and I think real estate prices have started to fall as the Fed has begun to withdraw the stimulus. I mean, they're still providing a lot of it, but they're not providing as much as they were. And so the hangover is already beginning to set in because the increase in asset prices was not the result of economic fundamentals. It was the result of the Fed. It was the result of cheap money and the impact it has on inflating asset prices. But none of it evidenced a healthy economy, and nor can you create a healthy economy by inflating asset prices. You distort the economy, and you further inhibit the economic growth that might otherwise have taken place had you not inflated these bubbles. So I think 2014, the air is coming out, and I think that's going to continue until the Federal Reserve acknowledges that they've got the economy wrong, that they're going to need additional stimulus, that they cannot taper to zero, that interest rate heights are not anywhere on you know, the horizon, because right now the immediate threat is that the economy is not as strong as the Fed believed. In fact, we're already halfway to a recession based on uh, Q1's contraction. And I think the Fed is going to have to reverse policy. And that, I think, is going to be a game changer for the currency markets, for the commodity markets, for the precious metals markets. How it impacts the bond market is a little tougher call. I mean, it should make bond prices go down. Uh, but short term, you never know. The idea of the Fed buying even more bonds could cause a, a rally that I think would be a shorting opportunity. Now, I think real estate prices are going to continue under pressure because I don't think that a new round of QE is going to result in a new round of speculators coming into the housing market. I think that a lot of these private equity funds that have loaded up on real estate in 2012 and 2013, I think they're done buying. And the average buyer has already been priced out of the market. Uh, and when the hedge funds, the private equity funds stop buying, it's not like the real demand is going to replace it because the prices are still too high. Even with interest rates at these low levels, uh, prices are still beyond the affordability of the average American who is struggling. Their incomes are falling. Many people don't even have jobs. And those that do, in many cases, they're part-time jobs. In the meantime, food prices are rising, utility bills are rising, insurance costs are going up. So uh, people are struggling with rising prices, and they already have a lot of debt to contend with. They have a car loan. They have a student loan. They have credit card debt. They just don't have the money to buy a house, and they couldn't even qualify for a mortgage anyway. The reason that so many houses were bought in 2013 is because the buyers didn't need mortgages. They were paying all cash. 
The people that needed mortgages couldn't qualify. Well, this is such a good point, and you've made this point a couple of times recently. When we watched the markets go up, the real estate markets go up in some of the prime areas in the last 12, 18 months, it hasn't been mom and pops getting up and going to work and earning money to buy houses. It's been these big REITs and institutional investors. That's who's driving the price up. Yeah. I mean, you've got home ownership rates at a 19-year low. And you've got last month, I think, 43 44% of all the purchases were all cash. So, yeah, this is not a normal, healthy real estate market. It is full of speculation. And the, the question is, when are the speculators going to sell? You know, a lot of these funds bought the property either planning on flipping it or planning on renting it out and making a, a return. But the problem is they can't flip it and they can't rent it. Because a lot of the people that were too poor to buy the houses are actually too poor to rent them, too, at least not at a rate of rent that's high enough to generate an adequate rate of return. And I think a lot of uh, these investors bought these properties anticipating rents that they're not going to get. In fact, it almost is a self-fulfilling prophecy because so many speculators bought up so much property, so many single-family homes that they intend to rent out you have all this property competing for tenants. And so the rents can start to go down on these single-family homes. So you know when they, when they look at the numbers, they're not going to get the returns that they thought. So are they going to continue to hold on to these properties, or are they going to sell them? And if they sell them, who's going to buy them and at what price? And you know a lot of these guys, if they bought property for all cash, if they have to sell it for 10, 20, 30 percent loss or more, it really doesn't matter. And, and a lot of these guys are used to doing that, right? If they buy a stock and it doesn't work out, they blow out, they cut their losses. So they might think nothing about blowing out of their properties at a 30% loss or 40% loss. They might say, oh, chalk it up to a bad trade. But what does that do to the, <laughs> to the real estate investor who, you know, that's a big deal, especially if you're using leverage. You know, if you only put 20, 30% down and the property price goes down 30%, that's a hundred percent loss on what you what you put up. Well, absolutely, and it's of course one of the things we have to be watching, and and we continue to see these shifts in these very same houses that you know in the last run up people lost the houses to the banks, then the funds came in, they bought the houses, and same thing, the performance isn't there. So maybe there's an opportunity the next round, maybe not. One of the alarming things you talked about was the labor participation rate. And you can say that unemployment is down, but that's there's more to that story as well. Yeah, well, unemployment is down because the unemployed have left the labor force. And so if you're no longer actively looking for a job because you've given up, then you're technically not unemployed. I mean, you're not employed, but you're not unemployed. But the thing is, you're not contributing to the economy. You're not producing anything of value. You're not paying taxes. And in fact, you're drawing benefits. You're taking disability. You're taking welfare, food stamps, housing subsidies. So you're a drain on resources on the economy. And of course, you're certainly not a home buyer. Right. You know, uh, and as the labor force shrinks and the tax base shrinks, so does the population of potential home buyers. And the problem for the people who are remaining in the labor force is now they've got to pick up the slack for all the people who've left. They've got to pay higher taxes to support their welfare benefits. So where are they going to get the money now to, uh, you know, to buy houses or buy other things? And of course, you know, you create this self-perpetuating spiral as the people who are still working 
get taxed more to pay for the people who quit, you have a greater incentive for more people to stop pulling the wagon and jump in the wagon with everybody else. And it just spirals. Uh, and, and so this is what is going on. And, you know, they keep talking about how the economy is expanding. I don't think it's expanding at all. I think it's actually contracting. I think the way we measure it is dishonest. I think the GDP measures really reflect inflation that is not being reported as opposed to economic growth. Well, and what about this whole thing about people, you know, and, and I guess obviously the Fed is now targeting a 2% inflation rate and, you know, this this terrible, what <laughs> if we had deflation? That would be the worst thing possible. Yeah, this is a George Orwellian world, you know, they're trying to tell us what's good is bad and what's bad is good. I mean, they're targeting 2% inflation. We already have inflation of more than that, right. if they would simply acknowledge it. But they're acting as if an economy needs inflation to grow, and that if we don't have enough inflation, that it's a problem that they need to solve by creating more. And the truth is, we don't need inflation. The economy will actually do better with lower inflation. In fact, if prices were to decline consumer prices, that would even be better than having them remain uh, stable. Because when prices are falling, that A is an indication of, a, of generally of a productive economy, because it's a productive economy that increases the supply of goods, which reduces the price of those goods. But it leads to higher living standards, because poor people can now afford more things. If the price comes down, you, know, you don't have an unlimited amount of money. So as goods get more affordable, more people are able to avail themselves of those of those products. But the government is trying to get get us to believe that we need inflation, you know, because they can point to Japan or they can point to the Great Depression and say, well, look, they didn't have inflation then and look and they had a bad economy as if it's cause and effect when when it's not. The government also says, well, you know, because if we don't have inflation, if prices aren't rising, consumers won't shop. I mean, this is the big lie that they repeat that if all prices go down, people will just stop buying, waiting for lower prices. When there is no evidence that that ever takes place, people buy what they want when they want it. Uh, they don't wait indefinitely for a slightly lower price. The only reason people wait for a lower price is because they can't afford the higher price. And obviously, if they can't afford the high price, if it goes up, then they really can't afford it. So they need the price to go down in order to be able to buy it. But it's absurd, especially when you think about credit cards, where a lot of Americans will buy stuff using a credit card and pay 18% interest. Why don't they just wait a year and get it 18% cheaper? Because they don't want to wait. They want it right now. You know, there's a value to having something now, right? Especially when it comes to food or gasoline. You tell me a guy's hungry, he's going to wait a year to eat because it's going to be a little bit cheaper. Or if he needs to go someplace, he's not going to buy gas for his car because if he waits, he might be able to get the gasoline cheaper. There is a value to having something today. The only time you wait for lower prices is if you're buying an asset. Yes, if you think a stock is going to go down in price, why would you buy it now? You would just wait because you, you only want the stock because you want to buy low and sell high. So you wouldn't buy it anticipating the stock to go down. But when it comes to a consumer good that you want, I mean, if I need a new jacket, I, I need a new jacket. You know, I'm going to go buy it. The cheaper, the better. If it's on sale, fine. But I'm not going to not buy it because there might be a better sale next year. Not in, unless I don't need the jacket at all, you know. Um, but this is all the part of the government propaganda that, unfortunately, so many people have bought into. Like I had this big argument with Muriel Rubini. He was on my panel, Muriel Rubini, about, about this. But what the government really wants is they want to create inflation because it benefits government. It benefits debtors 
The government wants to inflate away its debts because it can't repay them, and they don't have the integrity to default. So they need inflation to erode away the value of the debt. They need inflation to prop up asset prices. But it doesn't benefit the economy. It doesn't benefit the consumer. But the politicians have to pretend that it does because that's the justification, the political justification for the policy. But meanwhile, this type of policy continues to widen the divide between the very rich and everybody else. The poor and the middle class get poorer, and a few people on Wall Street get richer, and now capitalism gets a bad name. You get a book like Piketty's uh, Capital in the 21st Century, a rebranded Marxism, is a runaway bestseller. And now capitalism gets blamed for what government has done. And now everybody is calling for, oh, we need more government to deal with this rising inequality when it's the it's government that is causing the disparity to widen. And if we really want to narrow it, we need to go back to free market economic policies, including when it comes to money and interest rates. Well, speaking of free markets, right, interest rates clearly manipulated. Let's talk about gold, right? Uh, I know you uh, certainly have uh, an opinion on that. And uh, a lot of people think the price of gold is a lot lower than it should be right now based on everything that's happening. What's, uh, what's your position on that? I think gold's going to go up. I think, you know, the reason that gold prices sold off in the second half of 2013 is because a lot of the hot money that got into the gold market in 2011, 2012 – left at the same time. It was because all of a sudden everybody was convinced that whatever problems that they were worried about had been solved, that the U.S. economy was going to grow, that the Fed was going to be able to uh, you know, declare victory, uh, they were going to be able to end quantitative easing, they were going to be able to raise interest rates and everything would be great, and therefore there's no reason to own gold, and of course there's no inflation, so why have gold? Of course all of this is wrong. Right. You know, the conventional wisdom mis- uh, characterized the recovery. It's not a legitimate recovery. Uh, it was just asset bubbles. And the Fed cannot take away the stimulus without bursting those bubbles. And if they burst those bubbles, the recovery that was built on the foundation of bubbles goes away as well. So if the Fed withdraws the stimulus, if they actually were to taper to zero and eventually raise rates, we would be in a financial crisis worse than 2008. So in order to prevent that from happening, the Fed is going to have to come up with an excuse as to why they have to halt the taper and why they have to, you know, rev up the presses again and why they have to do more, not less QE. And then when when that reality surfaces and now people have to reassess their assumptions on monetary policy in the U.S. economy, that is going to provide a powerful case for gold. And I think the price of gold is going to rise very rapidly because all of a sudden you're going to have a lot of people coming to the same conclusion at the same time, wanting to buy the same asset, but there's not going to be sellers. There's not going to be enough gold to satisfy all that demand. A lot of the gold that the speculators sold in the second half of 2013 was bought by foreign central banks that are never going to sell it. So where is the gold going to come from to satisfy the new investor demand? The only way it can happen is with much higher prices. And then they'll still be able to buy gold. They won't be able to buy as much gold. They'll just pay a lot more money for the gold that they buy. In 2012, uh, Peter, you wrote a great book uh, called The Real Crash. And in fact, that has been updated. When we come back, we're going to talk about the nearly 100 pages that have been added to the book. And we're going to give people a chance to win it on Real Estate Trivia next. Our guest is Peter Schiff from Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm Robert Helms. We're the Real Estate Guys. 
Real estate investment advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com. Hi, this is Patrick Donahoe of Paradigm Life. Over the last few years, I've had the privilege of sharing the services of Paradigm Life with you loyal Real Estate Guys Radio listeners through our website, www.beerbank.com, and also on the annual Investor Summit at Sea. Subsequently, we have seen a variety of financial situations across the socioeconomic spectrum and how everyone, regardless of their situation, would improve their financial lives by following the system we specialize in. As a result of this experience, we have created an online e-learning system so anyone without obligation can learn about the infinite banking concept. This free e-learning program is found on our website, www.beerbank.com. So check it out today. The website again is www.beerbank.com. Hello, this is Dave Lendinger, co-founder of Remax International. You're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show. We're talking this week about kind of the global economic picture. Is it time to put the foot on the gas or the brake? Our guest Peter Schiff is enlightening us. Before we get back to the interview with Peter, it's time to win a copy of his newly revised book, The Real Crash. We're going to play Real Estate Trivia. The first person with the right answer to today's Real Estate Trivia question will win that book. As soon as you hear the question and think you know the answer or want to take a guess, send us an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Last week on the show was Ask the Guys, and we asked you about Godzilla in the first Godzilla movie back in 1954. There was a nighttime scene where Godzilla destroys two department stores, both of which are still operating today in real life. And we wanted you to name at least one of them. The answer? The Waco Company and the Matsuzakaya Department Store, which in real life are right across the street from each other. And even though in the movie Godzilla ripped them to shreds, they are still standing today. Here's our real estate trivia question for this week. As you'll learn in a few minutes from Peter, lots of investors are looking at Puerto Rico. Here's my question. What's the national flower of Puerto Rico? If you know or want to take a guess, send your answer to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. What is the national flower of Puerto Rico? That's today's real estate trivia question. The winner, of course, gets a, a copy of your recently updated uh, book, uh, The Real Crash. Now, uh, when this book came out, uh, we had you on the show, and we talked about the fact that the, the big difference, I think, between Crash Proof, where you clearly predicted the mortgage meltdown and the housing crisis and all that years before it happened, uh, is that this book painted a lot of the you know scenarios and, and gave a lot of possible solutions. Uh, what's the update? Now, you've spent time updating nearly 100 pages of, of this book. Uh, tell us what's, what's new and what's changed. Yeah, well, the solutions are, are not going to prevent the, the crash from occurring, right? The solutions have to do with what we need to do after the crash because there's really no uh, preventing it. I mean, certainly the government is going to make it worse than it needs to be, but unfortunately, the problems have already been created, and the solutions are not necessarily pain-free or fun for a lot of people. Uh, but the whole purpose of the original book, The Real Crash, was to remind people that the crash that I was forecasting in the first book hadn't happened yet. Right. That even though I did forecast the Great Recession that would result from the bursting of the real estate bubble, that Great Recession wasn't the real crash. 
In that first book, I forecast that as a result of the bursting of the housing bubble and the recession that we would have, that the government would come to the rescue of the economy with more of the same monetary policy. I didn't know it was going to be called QE, but that's what they called it. But I described it before they invented it. Right. I said they would print more money. They would keep it, try to bring interest rates down. They would try to you know, reflate the bubbles. And that the real crash was going to happen when those bubbles burst, when the government, you know, we were, it was, we were going to die, I said, not from the disease that I was diagnosing, but from the government's cure right. to that disease. And so that's what I still believe. I still believe that the real crash is coming. And so that book was to say, hey, it hasn't come. It's still in the future. And what the revision is about is why it hasn't come yet. Because I wrote that book in 2012, and most people think, hey, things are getting better. The government uh, solved the problems. The, they were geniuses. Uh, ben Bernanke is a hero. You know, Janet Yellen will be just as good. You know, and, and, and the revisions are to point out what's happened since the last book, what has happened to delay the day of reckoning, but to remind everybody that it's still coming. And of course, because of what, because of the things that we've done to postpone it. We simply exacerbated the underlying problems, which means when the rail crash comes, it'll be even worse because we were successful in delaying the onset of that crash. And again, I don't know how many more years we have. I mean, maybe we don't even have one. Maybe the real crash is going to start in 2014, but it might not start until 2015 or 2016. I can never know. There are so many things that could happen that you can't really predict that might buy us some time, especially when you look at the dollar's role as the safe haven reserve currency. Every time there's a problem someplace else, we benefit from it. We get the ability to borrow more money and spend more money every time somebody else has a problem. And since there are so many problems around the world, because we don't have a monopoly on a bad politicians and reckless central bankers, right. since, you know, so America is lucky that some of the other countries are also making mistakes. And we get to benefit from theirs because of the perception that we're a safe haven from what's going on in Europe or what's going on in Japan, even though what's going on here is even worse than what's going on over there. And people are jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. You know, in so many ways, it is amazing that the government and the Fed have been able to kick this can down the road for all these years. Yeah. And it's gotten to the point where people are just like, you know, they're not interested. I think one of the most difficult things for people to understand is the way an economy works. Now, you and your brother wrote a really cool book that was just, came out a few years ago about how an economy grows and why it crashes. And you've just updated this book. In fact, it's twice as big. It's, it's uh, illustrated. <laughs> this is probably Economics 101, kind of a beginning primer on understanding a lot of this. Yeah, it's only twice the size in actual size because we made a bigger book and we colored it. We only added two additional chapters, though, and uh, some additional text along the way. So it is a little bit bigger. But the main thing about the book was to make it more of a, a showpiece, a gift item. A lot of people, we sold over 50,000 copies of the original, and a lot of people love it. Um, it's very educational. Uh, but this one is more, I think, lends itself more towards, you know, again, displaying it on your coffee table, giving somebody a really nice-looking gift but also giving them you know, an education on economics. A lot of times if you give somebody an economic book, they're not going to read it, right? But this book people will read because you can read the entire book in three to four hours, and it's entertaining, and you'll laugh. And so, you know, you, it's like, uh, you know, making the medicine go down with a spoonful of sugar, you know, so people will read it. And, uh, and for the people who have the original copy, if they want a more impressive copy to have, 
this is it. And that's why we call it the collector's edition. And obviously, we you know, might not sell as many. The original is still for sale. You can still buy the smaller, less expensive book if you want that. But if you want to have a nicer book, then uh, get the collector's edition because I think it's well worth having it you know, and, have, and displaying it. And then as a gift, yeah, if you want to give somebody a graduation present or a birthday present or something, you know, this is you know, more appropriate. It's a more substantial thing to have. All right, absolutely. Now, uh, we had a, a fabulous time with you and your lovely wife on the Investor Summit. You were back for the second year. This next year, we're going to Puerto Rico. And during the summit, um, you uh, shared some pretty interesting things that are happening in Puerto Rico and some reasons businesses are relocating there. Obviously, we have listeners in more than 180 countries, and uh, they're quite interested in places to go and why. Uh, tell us why Puerto Rico. Yeah, well, if you're fortunate enough not to be an American citizen, then Puerto Rico doesn't have any special appeal for you. I mean, you still could think that maybe there'll be some real estate opportunities there because of how many Americans may be moving there. But the real benefit of Puerto Rico is what it has to offer American citizens. Because most people, you know, if they live outside of America, there are all sorts of tax havens. If they want to open up a business uh, in a country that has no income tax, they can move there, open up a business, and pay no income tax because they're home country, the country where they're a citizen, doesn't care about the money they earn outside their borders. You can earn all the money you want and you're not responsible for paying taxes. But America is very unique in its attempt to tax your worldwide income. So America says if you're a U.S. citizen, even if you leave the country and never come back, you still have to pay U.S. income taxes on whatever you earn. And, it, and they're actually making it more and more complicated to even be compliant it's, it costs a lot of money just to file your return, let alone pay the tax. Well, Puerto Rico is in a very uh, unique and desirable position in that the tax treaty that we have with our Commonwealth is that any American citizens who are living in Puerto Rico, if they earn income while living in Puerto Rico, that's Puerto Rican sourced income, it is exempt from all U.S. taxes. Now, up until recently, it was no big deal because Puerto Rico imposed its own income tax that was about as high as the federal income tax. So it was no big deal, right? So you get out of U.S. income tax, you pay the Puerto Rican tax. But what they did in 2012, and really people didn't even find out about it until 2013, is now they passed Act 20 and Act 22, which says that if you move to Puerto Rico and you've never lived there or haven't lived there in a number of years, you qualify for an exemption from the Puerto Rican income tax. So... The tax on capital gains and interest income within Puerto Rico is zero. And if you operate a business and incorporate that business in Puerto Rico, the corporate tax is just 4%. And since the dividend tax is zero, if you start a business and you earn money, you pay 4%. If you pay the profits out to yourself in a dividend, you pay zero. So the effective tax rate is 4%. But on capital gains and the Capital gains don't have to take place in Puerto Rico because the capital gains has to do with where you live. So even if you're living in Puerto Rico and you flip a piece of property in California, if somebody's living in Puerto Rico, they buy a house in California, they turn around and sell it for, let's say, $100,000 gain, the tax is zero. And so there are tremendous benefits for American citizens and American entrepreneurs to move to Puerto Rico and to start businesses in Puerto Rico generate income in Puerto Rico, whether it's, you know, earned income through running a business or just capital gains. I mean, I met a guy here the other day that was just in the process of moving to Puerto Rico who's just a trader. He says he just makes a living buying and selling stocks. But, he only, you know, it's all short-term trading, so he pays regular income taxes, which is better than 40%. Well, now he's going to pay zero. And zero is a lot 
cheaper, and so you, you can live a lot better not giving you know, almost half your money to the government. And in fact, a lot of people are going to look at this and, as a great opportunity because if you think about how, you know, a lot of people have a goal, they want to work, they want to retire, and they have to earn a certain amount of money before they can do that. Well, when the government is taking so much of your income along the way, you have to work a lot longer to achieve your goals. But here, it's a lot shorter, especially when you consider the rate of return that you can generate on the taxes you don't pay. Because if you would have paid, let's say somebody was, was going to pay $100,000 in taxes, but because they moved to Puerto Rico, they got to keep that $100,000, they can invest it. And those investment returns can compound tax-free. So not only do you have the money you didn't pay in taxes, but you have all the investment returns that you earned on that money. Right. That you, so your, your ability to retire, to accumulate the nest egg that you need, you can do it. You reduce the timetable. So there's so many reasons to go there. And as long as it doesn't get screwed up, as long as Puerto Rico doesn't vote to become a state or something crazy like that, because they're in a very enviable position in Puerto Rico. I mean, every U.S. state would be better off as a commonwealth. Yeah. I mean, what's, the only thing that the Puerto Ricans don't have, really, is they can't vote. <laughs> Who cares? Everyone I vote for loses. You know, so <laughs> I'd rather not pay taxes than waste my vote on, on, on a candidate who's not going to win. I mean, I can't outvote the people on welfare. So why try? At least if I go down to Puerto Rico, they're not living off my money anymore. Right. So there are a lot of reasons to go there. And I think the economy, as long as they don't screw this up five or 10 years from now, that place is going to be booming. Think about, you know, Singapore, Hong Kong, you know, think about how that place is going to change when all the entrepreneurs move there. People move there who want to succeed, want to start businesses, want to grow their businesses. They're going to be going there. They're going to be employing people. So I think a lot of the Puerto Ricans that left Puerto Rico in the last 10 years, a lot of them are going to come back. They love the island. They only left because there were no jobs and they went to the U.S., well, you know what? There's no jobs here either. Right. But more jobs are going to be created in Puerto Rico by all the companies that are starting. And the other benefit, you know, if you're a corporation and you're living in Puerto Rico and you pay no corporate income taxes or just 4%, that means you can reinvest your retained earnings in growing your business. You don't have to pay a huge corporate tax that reduces your ability to, to grow and hire. All right. Well, we'll be going to Puerto Rico on the 13th Annual Investor Summit at Sea. All the details on our website at realestateguysradio.com. Peter, it is always enlightening to hear you, and thank you for sharing your time with us today. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure to be on the Real Estate Guys show. And if you want more from Peter Schiff, just go to shiftradio.com. Uh, your show is on uh, five days a week. Five days a week, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to noon Eastern. So out on the West Coast, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. And, of course, you can go to shiftradio.com at any time and just listen to the most recent show. And if you want you know, to have access to the archives, you want some of the bells and whistles, you can sign up to be a premium member. The first 30 days are free, so you can give it a try. If you like it, you know, continue with the subscription. There you go. That's at shiftradio.com. More when we come back from Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Need help with your real estate investment portfolio? Check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com. Are you ready to profit in paradise? Hi, it's Robert Helms. And if you think real estate investing means tenants, toilets, and termites, think again. Located just a short plane ride from the U.S., a virtually untouched paradise awaits. The beautiful country of Belize. When you go to Belize with the Real Estate Guys, you'll spend four fabulous days discovering one of the most intriguing real estate markets I've ever seen. With its jungle rainforests, pristine beaches, and 81-degree turquoise water, Belize is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. Plus, it's considered one of the top seven tax havens in the world. And why U.S. real 
real estate continues to drop, Belize property is on the rise, and many experts think the best is yet to come. But don't just take my word for it. Come experience Belize firsthand at our upcoming investor field trip. When you join us, you'll discover the many reasons we love Belize, like tremendously undervalued beachfront land, super low taxes, ease of doing business, and so much more. Get the details at realestateguysradio.com. Just click on events. See paradise for yourself. Click events at realestateguysradio.com, and I'll see you in beautiful Belize. Hi, this is Lawrence Yuan, Chief Economist with National Association of Realtors, and you are listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program in Las Vegas, Nevada today. Always great to get around Peter Schiff. It's always great to get around Peter Schiff. And, uh, you know, we saw him speak in two of his presentations. And I think the second presentation that we saw in his breakout, it was probably the best Peter Schiff presentation that uh, I've seen so far. I mean, I continue to learn every time I hear him speak. And, uh, of course, having him on the show is is awesome because, you know, a big part of preparing for the real crash and the aftermath of the real crash, as he talked about, is having a network of people that are super smart, that are analyzing on a day-to-day basis what's going on. I think, you know, one of the things we try to do is bring these perspectives to our audience, things that, you know, you might otherwise want to do on your own. One of the things that uh, he was talking about is this uh, Puerto Rico thing, which is really interesting because really the macro lesson in that for a real estate investor is that people and businesses will move for financial reasons, right? I mean, just on a very basic level, if I'm operating an apartment building and I decide uh, you know, to raise rents by $50 a month, there's a demographic that will get up and move for $50 a month, and you can't get away with that kind of an increase. So you as a landlord are kind of pushing the envelope a little bit when you start trying to go 25, 30, there's a tipping point at which people will get up and move. Well, governments go through the same thing, right? They start messing around with tax, codes, they start messing around with regulation, they start messing around with the value of money and interest rates, and it begins to create movement. And some of those movements are predictable. Some of those movements we call the squish factor. You know, you're going to put you put a water balloon in your hand and you squeeze it. It's going to come out somewhere. Right. You don't exactly know which two fingers or where it's going to come out, but you know it's going to come out somewhere. It's going to force an issue. And I think the lesson in what Peter is sharing in Puerto Rico, I mean, he moved his asset management company there. He's talking about adding more companies to it and bringing more of his personal business and income into the Puerto Rican tax code versus the U.S domestic tax code who can blame him right and so if you understand that you say okay well he's talking about hey get there in the path of progress and be an owner and be ready to welcome those people when they start coming back in and and i think there's a lot of opportunities like that around the domestic market in the united states as well and we've been talking about on this show for quite some time well i think one of the big themes from today is this You've really got to have your axe sharp in this market. You've got to pay attention. You've got to get educated. You've got to understand. People are, I think, a little put back by the fact that you and I haven't been sounding the, oh, everything's great, the market's up 20% drum. We've certainly talked about the markets that have gone up and why they have, and we've talked about prudent investments in those areas, and we're bullish on real estate always because no matter what's happening in any market, there's opportunity somewhere. doesn't mean there's opportunity everywhere. In our book, Equity Happens, people, all you guys said real estate prices always go up. No, we always said that there are markets where the prices are going down 
every single minute. There's never once been any time in history where every single real estate market has gone up or when every real estate market has gone down. So today you've got to sharpen your ax. You've really got to pay attention. And that's why we get out and talk to these folks. I mean, we understand that it's more than just real estate. It's what the Fed does. It's what happens to interest rates. Gold may have nothing to do with real estate, but certainly watching that market, all of that makes you a better investor. Absolutely. You know, I mean, you just, I mean, I'm thinking about this idea that real estate is an asset class, which of course is something that Peter and I debate every once in a while, right? Because I don't really look at real estate as an asset class. You can kind of, because it's impacted by labor and you could call labor an asset class, but you know, there's economies, local economies, and there's a big difference between say Detroit and Dallas in terms of job creation. There's a big difference between Florida and California, say, in terms of tax and job creation. So real estate, by its very nature, gives you, as an investor, the opportunity to pick and choose markets that are better priced, better positioned, and give you a better opportunity to profit, even when the overall class of real estate, if you throw it all in a blender, might be down or might be facing downward pressure. It's that squish factor again. One area is going down, it's pushing another area up. And real estate is largely unique in that. I mean, you, you have a difficult time doing that. We sat and listened to some REIT presentations. Very, very interesting. And I think we'll probably end up doing a whole show on that topic because it was that interesting. But the idea is these guys have very diversified portfolios. I mean, they're in multiple markets. And even though they're specialized in an area, one area of real estate, they're diversified in terms of market and exposure. And, and there's a lot to be learned in that too. A lot of great places to pick up information. We get on the road a lot. Love to bring that information to you, but you'll see on our website at realestateguysradio.com under events, a lot of things we're going to that uh, we'd love to have you come out and we'll meet you there. Uh, we're going to be at the Money Show in San Francisco. Freedom Fest, of course, takes place over the summer. Always a, a great event to go to. Uh, I know I'm speaking at a global symposium in New York. You're going to be in Orlando. A lot, a lot of things coming up where we're paying attention. And I think as a prudent investor, that's the message here. Proceed with caution. Pay attention. There is great opportunity, but don't go hog wild because the basic foundation under the market right now is a bit tenuous. You can navigate it, you just got to pay attention. A big thanks to Peter Schiff for taking time out of his extremely busy schedule to uh, spend time with us and uh, we'll look forward to uh, catching up with you next week on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Until then, go out and make some equity happen. This episode of the Real Estate Guys radio show is brought to you by Paradigm Life. Powerful cash management strategies using life insurance. Learn more at beyourbank.com. Mid-South Home Buyers, low-cost, turnkey cash flow properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Corporate Direct, asset protection strategies for real estate investors from attorney and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton. Find these and other great companies under the Resources tab at realestateguysradio.com. To learn how you can expose your product or service to the Real Estate Guys audience, call 888-489-7723, extension 4. That's 888-489-7723, extension 4. Or use the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on the Real Estate Guys Radio Show.